Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten, and every fortnight I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I'm joined by Alex Michaelis, one of the co-founders of Michaelis Boyd Architects, and we talk about their project, Arijuju, located in Kenya. This house has been referred to as the most beautiful bush house in Africa. It is located on the Buranan Lewa Conservancy, a 90,000-acre conservation area in Kenya, and is situated next to a watering hole frequented by elephants, baboons and lions. The concept of the courtyard house is simple, to nestle and merge in the landscape so that it is almost imperceptible, and it has been designed to focus on what Alex describes as the holy trinity of views, sunrise, sunset and Mount Kenya. In the interview, I find out how Alex helped the client find the perfect location for the villa, what his influences were for the design and how they constructed this off-grid villa under the watchful eye of some very curious and hungry animals. If you'd like to find out more about Michaelis Boyd and the Ari Juju project and some of the references in the interview, you can find information on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Alex. Thank you for joining me this morning on the podcast. Pleasure. Delighted to, to be with you. Um, so we're going to be talking all about your Arijiju project based in Kenya um, and also talking about you and your practice and your work. And um, maybe just if we could just start with that, because your practice, Michaelis Boyd's, um, it's been around for quite a long time. You've got quite a portfolio of, of projects. And I think this one is a really interesting one in how it sits in that portfolio of projects. I don't think it's an obvious one. Um, but what, if you could give maybe a little bit of a background to to you and your practice, that'd be great. Um, yeah, my, my father was an architect, uh, so um, I sort of uh, it sort of was an easy, well, not easy, uh, but uh, obvious uh, you know, link to to study architecture. Uh, and I wasn't really sure uh, that I wanted to be an architect when I started studying it, and I think I wasn't even sure until. Uh, I left my uh, the practice I was working in, which was a guy called Julian Wickham, uh, who used to do lots of restaurants and hotels. Uh, and that was the first time I really enjoyed. I, I spent a year there working there, really enjoyed it. But then he ran out of work completely. In, the, in those days, you could fire the whole office if you ran out of work completely. <laughs> so I think about 15 of us were let go on a Friday evening. Um, and uh, I was uh, had a little room in a shared flat, and I one friend said well will you do a roof terrace for me uh, and I said yeah, that'd be great and then someone else would do a kitchen an extension and it, it all started like that and I suddenly realised I loved the interaction of um, working with people and uh, you know creating spaces uh, that um, which I absolutely, you know, I love hearing what people want to do and then interpreting that in drawings and, and spaces. And and it, so it was something I, I really began to, you know, like it's a job I can't believe people pay me to do. Uh, I love every <laughs> single moment of it. It doesn't feel like work ever. <laughs> um, and then I met Tim uh, Boyd, actually, while I was working in my year out at a guy called John Miller and Partners, um, and we stayed in touch. And then he uh, left the practice he was working in and came to share a roof space where I was at set up practice a few years afterwards. And then we we sort of slowly joined forces about twenty five years ago, and have been going ever since. Um, started doing mainly uh, extends and uh, houses in London for probably the first decade um, uh, and then actually having said that we did get some of the early houses at the beginning um, and a few really interesting restaurants like Morrow um, uh, I can't remember all the other projects done and we started working abroad as well uh, yeah a few years in uh, which I loved but I think the you know um, the, f- the first projects we did in Africa, I realised that, that it's a, a place I really 
uh, was completely, uh, completely sort of overwhelmed by the the power of nature in in a, in the countries and, and the the scale of the landscapes and the uh, you know you know it really puts humanity in its place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we we before we did Arajuju, uh, I, I personally worked on some projects in uh, uh, Botswana. Um, and Mozambique and Kenya, so I, I, I knew the areas quite well. Yeah, um, and so it's yeah, and, and I'll carry on on our practice. So and, and maybe I think it was seven or eight, seven or eight years ago, we also people in New York kept on saying, "Will you come and do projects there?" And we did one crazy project where we flew out every time to do a hotel in Williamsburg, um, uh, which was great fun. Um, but the next project, actually, this is quite a funny story, a good one for architects as well. So um, I was rung by uh, someone who said, we love what you're doing in Battersea and what you've done uh, for Sir House Berlin. Would you, would you fly out to New York? We'll pay you for, uh, to fly out to New York to do a presentation for a, a big interiors project on a, on, a, on a hotel. And I said, that's great, fantastic. So I, I turned up. Um, I was, on, I was on, on holiday in France and I turned up in Birkenstocks, uh, Linen trousers and a t-shirt like this, you know, a short sleeved <laughs> t-shirt with a, with a collar. And I went into the presentation. And there were twenty guys in suits on phones, and I started presenting. And I realised after ten minutes they were all sort of looking down at their phones and everything. <laughs> um, and they were all very polite and everything. And I left and I was flew back the next day, uh, back to the holiday, and uh, was told the next day that, 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 that sadly they decided to go with someone else. Um, even though they liked what they'd seen very much. Uh, and, with, and there was a, there was a, a sort of a, the person who put me in touch on, on the job rang me a week later and said, look, we've got another job for Tishman Smeyer, who's a, you know, really, they've got this amazing job in Brooklyn where the amazing tower block and you'll be working with Studio Gang. Can you fly out? I said, yeah, sure. So I flew out again uh, a week later, two weeks later, in the days when everyone was flying around, you know, mm-hmm. mad ways. And um, uh, I was, I was walking around at seven o'clock in the evening. I just got in and I was sort of, you know, enjoying the sun in New York and uh, walking around and she rang me and she said, uh, okay, your, your meeting's tomorrow at 9am at the Rockefeller Center. I said, I'm just checking you. I haven't come in Birkenstocks and linen trousers. And I said, I have. And she said, you're going to lose it again. That's why you lost the job. Go shopping now. So at seven o'clock, I had to go buy leather shoes, a pair of gray trousers and a proper white shirt. <laughs> so, and then I sat down at the meeting and uh, they looked me up and down and we got the job. So uh, it's uh, amazing what uh, impression yeah. has in, in certain countries. So uh, It's funny because I think with architecture, sometimes it's what I quite like about the job is you can get away with being the person that's dressed differently to everybody else and me and my business partner when we go into the city and we in in london and we, if we're going to meet a client and we always notice we're just dressed differently yeah. to, to everybody yeah but Lo- london's <laughs> fine and europe's fine america is yeah especially if you're trying to get into corporate america really yeah it's different once you're in you can do what you want you can probably i could probably get my underpants yeah. now but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a quote for the website <laughs> I'm sort of quite well known for being barefoot. I have, I'm barefoot pretty much all the time. So in the really? office and yeah. everything. So uh, Birkenstocks is even, that's even a push for me. So yeah, they were lucky. <laughs> um, and you've, I've, I've picked out a quote here, actually, of just something that I was, I was looking into before doing the interview. Um, it sort of half relates to walking around barefoot and doing meetings in Birkenstocks. But you mentioned once that uh, I think architecture is often taken too seriously. Um, is the barefoot Birkenstock meetings thing is that part of a reaction to that um i think that's more it is partly that but it's also uh, that that's just um being being in touch with with the earth and nature and which is yeah. also really important um but i do think a lot of architects uh, architects uh, don't realize that we have a huge power and that there can be humor and um you know it doesn't need to be serious there's a, there is a part of old-fashioned architecture studying and everything that is quite a serious game you know, and you've got, mm-hmm. you know you're dealing with humanity and how humans live and everything but at the same time uh, we are but we have we're we're, we're sculptors you can do anything we want with spaces and you know uh, you know I'm, I'm i think you know 
playfulness is always is always a, a twinkle in my eye. Playfulness is always at the at, you know on the sidelines for me. Yeah, how can I make this something yeah. that makes someone smile when they come in and go? I love that. You know, that's yes. You know, so I mean, I will push it in my own houses. You know, we have slides and fireman's poles and uh, you know all sorts of fun things. But they're you know they're very discreetly inserted into the architecture. People hardly even notice them. But then when they see them, they go, Oh God. It's great, you know. So uh, yeah. you know, we get the most serious people coming to our house here in London, you know, who sort of, you know, all shoulders up and you know, and then they, they see the slide and, and they come down that and their shoulders are down and there's a grin on their face and they feel the fireman's pull and they run up and come down that. And you've got to, you've, you've created a child from a serious adult, you know, who's been in the city for yes. too long, you know. And that's for me, that's a great joy that you know you can you can do that and you can. I think we're all. You know, we've all got the child inside us all the time until we die, and, mm-hmm. and to bring it out all the time is, is a good thing. Uh, not too much. Was, I mean, not when it, you know, not yeah. too much, but you know, but uh, within reason. And was that was any of that imparted from? Because you mentioned your father being an architect, so you grew up with with a parent as an architect. Did what influence did that have on you? Because you mentioned it was an obvious choice. You could argue it's not an obvious choice. A lot of people the last thing they want to do is the same job as their parents. Yeah, I, you know what, actually, I think that, uh, I, I'm going to go back on what I said and it wasn't an obvious choice and then I didn't want to do it and I wanted to be a doctor, but I was terrible at sciences. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Uh, and I, you had to have maths and people argue you have to have maths for architecture, which I, is, I, I'm not sure you do, but uh, but I was studying maths A-level uh, and after one year, my uh, tutor came up to me and he went, yeah, because just, you're not anywhere you have you really are i know you're trying but you are hopeless and you haven't got a clue so you have to give up and do another subject so i did french uh swap to french and that was really the end of the the medical thing i tried to get into medical school in a few places um uh, and everyone said no uh which is a good thing i would have been a terrible doctor uh yeah i, I think i had you know one of those Doctors is one of those sort of iconic things that people think that, uh, you know, doing good for the world and everything. Um, but not only was I terrible at all the subjects that, that I've realised in, in now, as life goes on, that I, I would have been bad. I would not have been, I don't know, no, wouldn't have been good. So, um, yeah. so it was my dad who said, um, you know, why don't you go and, you know, just have a go and, and study. And I said, well, I really don't feel like, but I'll have a go. And, and that's why the studies at the beginning were really quite a struggle. But I began to get uh, interested in the uh, whoops. Uh, I'll turn that off. In the um, the second, you know, the diploma stage, uh, and then working. I really uh, and, then, and then working for myself and and interacting with people, and you know that was just fantastic. And, and what my father brought to it, to it. So he, he was called Dominic Michaelis, and he was. He trained as an engineer and an architect, so he did about ten years training before, mm-hmm. um, he, and he worked for Arabs before setting up his own company. Uh, and you know, was you know knew all the sort of uh, Rogers clan and all that lot quite well. Um, but his his he was very, he was quirky and he was more much more interested in energy. And he was a solar architect before solar was possible. Really, so all his houses oh. were. You know, he did one of the first solar houses in Milton Keynes. Uh, he did, you know, mud houses in Mali with solar panels. Um, he invented a solar balloon, which is incredible. I'll, I can send you a photo of, which was a see-through balloon with a black square in it that you just yeah. self-inflated. You know, it was huge. It was, you know, carry people. And then as the sun came up, it would heat the black in a box inside and the air inside the balloon so you wouldn't have all the gas and everything. Yeah. Um, and I spent my, uh, towards the end of his life, we had a company together called Energy Island. So his, his whole thing was about energy and alternative energy. And and I've taken a lot of that on since. But Energy Island was interesting. That was a, a floating island that we designed and nearly nearly came off as a project um, Yeah, that was uh, covered in solar panels, uh, had uh, uh, farms underneath the solar panels. Um, it was mooring for very big boats as well. Uh, so the boats didn't have to go into small ports, which they can't really do. And uh, then they had, we had a system called OTEC, which is Ocean Thermal Energy Conversion. This might all be too much information. So. No, no, this is great. <laughs> uh, so it's a, a very little known um, energy uh, system that was, it's been around for about 100 years, but no one has actually uh, pulled it off on a, on a commercial scale yet. But I, I do think there'll be, it'll come up in the future because it's, it, what it does is it says, 
the area 500 miles either side of the equator is like the biggest solar panel in the world. It's heated every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sea is this incredible solar panel. And you use that and you take the surface hot water uh, and you put it into a, uh, you pump it into a, into a cylinder, into a sort of vessel. Uh, and you have something called a flash evaporator. And as long as the sea is more than 20 degrees, when any seawater hits the flash evaporator, a percentage of that seawater will become steam. Uh, and that steam mm-hmm. rises and will run a turbine. Um, and the, uh, the, the steam will then pass into another chamber that will have two skins. And then you pump cold water from deep down in the sea into the skin and uh, that distills the water. So you, you create energy uh, and you have distilled water as a byproduct. And it wow. has a net cooling effect on the world. And it is continuous mm. energy. So it's not broken energy like solar and wind. It's continuous. Uh, and the cold water means you can do cold crop farming because it's very rich in nutrients. So below the solar panels, you do cold crop farming that will last for, you know, that gives you four or five crops. Uh, and then underneath that, you have nets where you have fish farms. Um, so the whole thing was really quite <laughs> futuristic and wonderful. Um, but OTEC is one of those things that will will, uh, will will creep back in, especially with everything that's happening yeah. as, as uh, you know, a very viable energy source. Uh, it's free um, but that's so yeah i mean going back to the sort of the balance of a serious profession and the playful element i mean balloons powered by the sun and the floating islands yeah that's very serious and very playful <laughs> at the same time see the influence there yeah, yeah. did you grow up you know your your children are growing up in a house with a slide and a fireman's pole was, was there any aspect of that kind of influence on on your upbringing uh not really we lived in 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 traditional houses um, where we were brought up. Um, I, th- I think that the real, the, you know, the, <clears throat> the, our generation, so maybe just before you set up practice, you know, when we set up practice 20, 20 odd years ago, people be- were beginning to really do serious things to their houses. And uh, the, the days of when it, you were like knocking on walls going, oh, it's a structural wall, can't touch that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Even those skyscrapers were going up, you know, yeah. in little Victorian terrace houses. Oh, dear, I can't touch that. They're going to leave that wall there, <laughs> which is so ridiculous in in retrospect. Have 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 got, had gone, um, uh, and so there was a boom, I think, of people saying, you know, really being saying, well, and, and us as architects saying, you can take everything out and start again. This house that was designed for a Victorian family, the uh, house exactly yeah. how you guys live, um, uh, and I, I put in retrospect you know that you know at a t- it was a time when we were we should have been probably more conscious of uh, energy and wastage and everything and weren't um and you know demolition should really have been deconstruction and we should have tried to reuse anything we didn't I and mean, that's coming back in now but I, you know that was mm-hmm. probably a very wasteful time but also a very interesting time architecturally where people were really saying you can do anything you want in the house which the people are still doing you know and that's that's good, but I do think it needs to be tempered now with uh, with with a slower build process that people have to accept and changing the, the system we had, which is as fast as possible to as sustainably as possible. And and when you mean slower, you mean sort of if you're taking apart, taking apart more carefully yeah. and thinking about what you're doing with those yeah, things. Yeah, and maybe even slightly changing the design. If, if, if you take things apart and you find, you know, you can reuse the steels, the brickwork, you can even reuse plasterboard. You know, you see these on the other side, uh, you know, reuse the copper. Uh, I mean, I think it is, you know, and it becomes even a quite interesting sort of project in itself, uh, sort of reclamation and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a deconstruction exercise. Um, and very few clients are willing to do it yet, but I think it should really actually be part of, uh, it should maybe be part of the process that's, that's forced by the government that you do, that, you, you know, if you're mm-hmm. going to, demolish something then you you have to try and reuse everything Uh, yeah i mean actually that you're responsible for the building you own and you've inherited it and the other project we're working for working at the moment in a new project in kenya it's actually which is an amazing conservation project uh very close to arajuju is going to be built purely from the earth on the site uh and and Mm -hmm. the floors are all going to be stone that is, uh, uh, you know, in flat areas of the site, we're just going to literally go back to the stone and then build the mud off it. So, which is a really interesting project because as little yeah. is coming from outside as possible. Yes. 
Um, well, let's let's <coughs> jump on to the, the project mm-hmm. Harajuku in um, in Kenya because there are aspects of that with the materiality. I don't think directly from the site, but in terms of the local mm. area. Um, but maybe if we're just starting with just what what brought you to that? You've, you've worked obviously in Kenya mm. and in Africa generally before, but what brought you to to this specific project? Um, <coughs> well, the the client was a, a half Nigerian, half English guy. Um, he was based in London, married to a Norwegian lady. Um, uh, and he'd asked us to do his house up in West London, which we, uh, we, we did. Um, uh, again, uh, for architects listening, this was another, another good story. <laughs> so we, it was a great, it was a great house, a small house on the communal garden in, in West London. Uh, well, not that small, but smallish. Um, and, uh, we did a, an amazing space on the top floor where we had a sliding glass roof light um, there, and below it on a, on a deck was like a sun deck and a yoga terrace that you wanted. And um, we got permission to put a big roof light in that was flush with the roof when we actually uh, came to construction and detailing it. It was 150 mil higher than what we'd uh, got planning for. And we went, we went mm-hmm. ahead and and I verbally said to him, well, it's a risk, you know, but, you know, I take it, but it's your risk. But I didn't put anything in writing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, someone on the other side of the street said, rang the council and said their roof light's about six inches higher than it should be. And it was like, and this bounced around for a while. And in the end, they said, you have to take it down and, and put a roof light that's flush with it. So, <clears throat> which he took, um, um, he couldn't quite clearly remember our conversation, so we ended up having to pay for that, <laughs> which does does happen oh, really? in in our business, as you know. The, uh, so yeah, the, not the best on paperwork sometimes, but it was it was we yeah, it, was, it wasn't that expensive in the end, and there was uh, the the people who put it in found a clever way of doing it. But um, and this is not the reason he asked me. We, we we're actually very good friends, and we were already friends then. And it was you know I sort of felt slightly bad that. I hadn't made it much clearer to him this might be. And I didn't actually think it would ever be an issue. And I didn't think the council would yeah. do anything. But anyway. I, mean, I think a lot of listeners, this is very tip. This is, I mean, welcome to yeah, London. Yeah. Like somebody complaining about 150 millimetres. Yeah. At roof level. At roof level. That nearly no one at could see. At roof level. Way above the no, street. Anyway, it was like, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it was happening. When the, when the enforcement officer came around, he was like, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to. And I was like, I can't believe this anyway. But I mean, talking of waste as yeah, well. Exactly, exactly. I mean, what a pointless, <laughs> pointless thing to do. Um, anyway, so uh, a few, a few uh, maybe a few years later, um, he he said, "Look, I know this probably won't be of interest, but I've, you know, I'm half Nigerian and I've uh, been going to this place in Barana in Kenya, and the guy who runs it, which is a big private game reserve, is you know trying to look after all the." Uh, the rhinos and the wildlife there, but more and more, uh, struggling more and more with poachers. Um, so what he's decided to do is to give a couple of sites uh, where he'll sell to people, where they build uh, a house, um, and that becomes part of the game reserve, so they can all use the game reserve. But they, they also buy into uh, helping him fund the poaching and the fencing and the um mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of it is to do with community and schools as well so it was it's a really it's a great uh it was a great project and he said that i know you won't be interested but i just thought you know i really like you it'd be nice to you know to just see and i said no absolutely and i'll be there tomorrow <laughs> yeah um having you know having worked already in a few other places and absolutely loved it um so I think we, it was a five year project in the end. Um, and we went out shortly afterwards, um, stayed with, uh, Michael Dyer, who was the guy who owned Barana and started looking for a site. And we were told, you know, there's an area, this is the area, you know, on a map, it was like a little tiny square. Yeah. So this is where you can look for a site. In reality, it was a wildlife infested, terrifying series of hills that when you came over one, you couldn't see what was over the next one. And we were just walking around, you know, with lions and rhinos and buffaloes everywhere, um, choosing a site. And um, it it's a very, very beautiful bit of land. That uh, It's on a plain that at the bottom of the plain, you get you get a, a 
a very far view and if you went further up the plane you get a, uh, a view of the whole uh, the whole whole area the whole game reserve uh, and it's got this amazing rock formation behind it uh, mm-hmm. so we we did cho- we chose a, a place and and the way we chose it was by going to site again and again at dawn uh, uh, to see the sunrise and uh, in the evening to see the sunset um, uh, and it, so it took a while to find a, a perfect site and we found one that was a little outcrop of, of a hill and I already had in my mind that you know that this was um, and I'd been talking to him this was ooh, I get a coffee which is fantastic thank you so much thank you very much um, this is my podcast team that remotely yeah, exactly <laughs> give me a copy. <laughs> um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so uh, we'd, we'd uh, you know we'd been talking, and I was saying you know this is a wild, wild place, and you know what everyone does is they do these thatched buildings along ridges uh, yeah. that are linked, and you walk from one to the other, and. The, the local architect, a guy called Nick Blumen, who, who is, is a great friend who we worked on some of the other projects in Africa with, is very, uh, he's very good, but he is very in that mold of doing, you know, thatched mm-hmm. structures and taking a ridge line. Um, uh, and so I said to Philip, you know, I really think, you know, now we've been here, now we've been in the land, it would be amazing to do something that that was a refuge like a like and slightly monastic yeah that you come into a courtyard and it's complete peace from you know the beating sun and all the wild animals Mm -hmm. and the noises and everything and it becomes like an oasis and off that we have the rooms and and i I sort of and this is this this is goes to the core of what i think in architecture is i think you it is really it has to be simple it's about light form flow uh but you you know if you can if you can cut all the edges off and and keep to something that's so crystal clear as a concept an idea you'll always you'll always win you know if you start trying to put things mm-hmm. in and especially now it's so difficult there's so many magazines and everything you always see something and it'll be nice to do that and you you try and you know feather it into a scheme and everything but it's mm-hmm. um you know the simplicity of just really rigorously working out what the client wants and 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 keeping it very very simple so this this job um uh in the end was very very simple it was it was what i said to him is the holy trinity it's um it's the rooms each bedroom has to face uh the sunrise which is incredible from this spot so each bedroom faces the sunrise so that's set and then the main space um, uh, and the um, and the pool and everything all have to line up with uh, with Mount Kenya because you've got Mount Kenya, which is like it's as good as Kilimanjaro, but no one knows about it. And, and I've actually cli- I climbed yeah. it with my uh, as an 18th birthday present to my oldest son. I took him up Mount Kenya for this five day wow. camping thing. It's the most incredible thing, you know. Is that got. like quite serious altitude then? Uh, it's five thousand meters, so it's quite serious. Wow, okay, <laughs> um, but it's not difficult um, yeah. until the last bit. The last bit is a little bit tricky, uh, but it's not mountaineering. It's you know holding yeah. ropes, and uh, I recommend wow. it because it's uh, yeah. It was the most sensational experience that I've ever had. Um, well, when I when I go to stay at Arujuju, that's you'll do that's when okay. my day's out. <laughs> Should yeah. <laughs> well, you can do it as a one day thing because you can actually drive the other side of it and just climb up to it. But it's quite yeah. fun to come from the plains and see, and it's very. Uh, you feel like you're in the in the in the, in the age of the dinosaurs uh, as you're climbing yeah. through it. I mean, the plants and the rocks and everything. But anyway, so that was an important line. So there was there was that, and then there was the. Uh, uh, you know the bar and the dining and the outside areas mm-hmm. facing uh, facing the sunset, and it was really that simple. Um, uh, and for me, the other thing that was really important is the other houses that had been built there were very obvious and very big and very visible. And I said, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to ever really see this house. So what I want to do is I want to you know, find a place where the land is dropping away, where we can sort of set it in and carve it into the rock a little bit, and then and then cover the roof in the same. Uh, vegetation as there is everywhere which is just sort of grassy mm-hmm. grassy land so that when people arrive they're not really aware that there's a building 
And even yeah. pretty much from any, everywhere else, you can't see it, uh, even when the elevation is bigger on the, on, on the view side. And that's worked incredibly well. In fact, Ginny Blom, uh, the uh, garden designer, was involved in that and was, was fantastic at that, at helping set all that. Um, uh, so it was really those three things and, and creating this courtyard. And I've always been slightly obsessed with um, uh, Le, Le Torode, which is also, you know, uh, Corbusier was obsessed with, John Pawson is obsessed with. Uh, if you haven't been, you have to go. It's in the south of France. It's... Uh, it's, it's a, you know, 13th century Cistercian monastery, and it's just yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not massively, you know, I don't I don't get moved by many things uh, of the you know, old uh, religious buildings, but this one, you know, there are some details and moments in it that just are you go, wow, this is something, you know. Um, so, have you been there or not? No, I haven't. No. Okay. okay. Um, it's, uh, probably it's when I was travelling, probably drove right past it without realising. Visited a lot of Corbusier <laughs> sites and probably yeah. drove right past it. Well, Corbusier was it was his one of his massive inspirations, um, and then Porson as well was taking it for for his. But anyway, it's it's it's, it's a cloistered courtyard uh, that steps down, uh, so that Arajuju has a, a similar thing, different uh, yeah. different in every way, but the same, you know, uh, the same sort of landscape setting. Um, yeah. Uh, so I showed him, you know, images of those and other things, and, and that led to the, you know, the, the, the you know, I said it would be great to do arches as well. And, and yes. you know, let's do something that feels like it's been here uh, forever as well. Yeah. Let's use local stone uh, and where we can just have the land. So in the courtyard, a lot of it is just the rock uh, and the entrance, especially, is just the rock that's there that you walk in uh, to get into the site. Um, yeah, and it and it was a really very simple palette. It was just saying, you know, the grass from the landscape, local stone everywhere, very simple architectural arch details, um, and a very natural lime uh, render plaster from uh, a local local supply, um, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it, you know, and, and yeah. timber floors and, and a few stone floors. But I mean, a very very simple simple palette. Yeah. Having said that, the the guy who built it is a guy called Ben Jackson, who's like he's like he's like a wild west cowboy <laughs> builder uh, in Africa, and he's uh, the most amazing guy. He's more energy than you'll ever uh, know, uh, ever meet in any person. He, um, uh, I mean, he has the drive to do things that you know uh, any other builder would probably not have managed to do. You know, so. There were so many details there that with it, that were you know other people would have said just mm-hmm. can't do it just let's just put square square arches and uh, you know and, and I'm not I'm not going to make these metal windows for you he handmade all the metal windows wow. um, he's uh, he's also the, one of the he's pr- pretty much one of the best looking men in the world as well so, <laughs> so I hate builders like that I know so that, and, he, and he drives this huge motorbike it's like it's like, it's like some sort of ridiculous Hollywood movie you know so uh, I remember we had you know they, uh, we had a few girls working on the project at different times and they would all come out and they'd sort of literally sort of fall to their knees when he arrived in a thing and every now and again he said to one of them, when you jump on the back of my motorcycle I'll take you back to the after a side meeting <laughs> yeah so this is like a comedy a comedy sort of uh comedy moments but it was um he's a fantastic guy still building out there um and he's you know he's renowned for pushing the boundaries and doing things uh you know and how, how is someone like him set up like if he's making the windows is that partly a response to the location and the remoteness as well would he have had a workshop just built there on site uh, a lot of it, a lot of it was workshops. They had sort of, uh, we had about 130 people at the height at the height of the project wow. uh, on site. That's a um, lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is when you when you put 130 people in a, you know, and, and he does, he he's, he's looks after his start. The guys really well. But when you put 130 people in a game reserve in close proximity, it gets all the animals around very excited. Really, There's so big big food possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> So lots of uh, lots of animals around lions and buffaloes and leopards and uh, cheetahs and and how is that dealt with? So 130 people need to be accommodated. Was <coughs> so temporary accommodation, I assume, is you know like in London we're used to yeah if you put up a portaloo and a couple of things mm. like that, but here you'd have all the facilities. But does it also need security from 
Yeah, some of the animals. The, the whole the whole um, building site was fenced off. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and as much from that as from monkeys, who will just steal everything. Uh, so, yeah, uh, all tools and everything. You know, you'll see one baboon running off with a sledgehammer on his back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a spotting if you're on the game yeah. reserve. A baboon exactly. with a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, you want to run from that. That's a dangerous. Baboon. Yeah. But I, I love the simplicity aspect of. I love how I'm, I'm able to repeat the concept back to you so easily of this trinity of views: the sunrise, sunset, and view of Mount Kenya. These three key views, different living accommodation spaces, mm. facing them, and then the idea that it blends in the landscape and it's incognito. How much of this was a response <coughs> to the site that you found, and how much of it was looking for a site that you could implement this concept <coughs> onto it? Um, I think it was in the back of my mind, uh, you know, as as a, as a concept to create something that was was a haven, and also what I um, <coughs> sorry that, um, is that before finding the site, yeah, before, even before finding the site, it was just it was just ticking along in the background, and we you know we, when we were we you know the first couple of visits we didn't really really have any 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 idea of site, we were just walking around a lot and and, and uh, discussing things. Um, and the, the, the choice of site came a little bit later. Uh, uh, but what he did do, and I've, I've forgotten this actually, he did say, because Nick Plumen, uh, who's you know, obviously also does a lot of game reserves in Africa, has got a mm-hmm. lot of uh, good rub off of being involved with Arajuju and Sandy B, which is another project we did together, uh, which I don't mind at all. Uh, but he did say, to, okay, because Nick said, well, I think you should do. Uh, what I did up the road where I did have a house with lots of you know take a ridge and everyone has a view and you walk along yeah. it so I said okay Nick you do a sketch Alex you do a sketch and then let's see what I think and everything so uh, there was a little mini competition <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think uh, I think it, in uh, Philip sort of was was uh, he was named the client was with me uh, quite early on so he just wanted to test the water and he is like that he's someone who always wants to make sure he's looked at every possibility uh, and every detail and you know got the heights of everything so he's very 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 detail conscious um so anyway but he you know and and what i liked about it it was also it it didn't sprawl so if you Mm. do something like that it is quite big um ten thousand square feet or whatever it is um with a courtyard but it's very hidden and it's not sprawling and no one is really aware it's there whereas if you do eight structures that are you know, a living room, a dining room, mm. uh, a pool area with a pool house, five bedrooms. You know, suddenly, suddenly, it's this. Yeah, it's a very obvious uh, thing, and it's a, it's a much easier thing to do. Just to say, but here's a whole bunch of mm-hmm. units. You know, um, um, but the site had to fit it. You're right. So, the, so um, the site choice was uh, on 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 the top of a little hill, and it wasn't really. We didn't choose it specifically to fit that. It was this is an amazing site where you can see all the things you want to do. We're close enough mm-hmm. to the water, the lugger, which is the, where there's water in the, in the rainy season where the animals will come and feed. But you also get Mount Kenya, and you've also got the view of the rocks behind. So this is a perfect spot. So we chose one spot uh, that there was, and it was a hill. It was coming down. There was one hill here, and then just below there was another hill. A little, a little flat plateau here, so two plateaus. So we had one plateau, and we drove there one evening, um, and we with a Range Rover, uh, with a uh, Land Cruiser, what it was, to have drinks and just make sure that it was a site. And we arrived and had left our headlights on. And Michael Dyer had given permission to another guy called Michael Spencer to build a house fourteen miles away uh, on a ridge, um, and we were there having our. Uh, in the sundown and looking at this, and this is a great site, it's fantastic. And we drove back to Barana Main Lodge and Michael Dyer came in and said, you've got to move the house. We said, what do you mean, to move the house? He said, uh, you had your uh, headlights on for the car and uh, Michael, who's built the house 14 miles away, could just see them. And he said, I haven't, I haven't built this house so I can see someone else's house. <laughs> <laughs> 
so which we thought was a little unreasonable but we thought okay and so we went back and actually we dropped it to the plateau below and it turned out to be an even better site that yeah he couldn't see and actually it was a slightly better view of the lugger and a slightly better view of mount kenya so it yes. turned out it turned out very well at the end and what role in, in the design what role does the courtyard play for you because concealed the views externally as you sort of wrap around the shape of this building but the courtyard internally is is quite large and you mentioned the french monastery as an inspiration but what was what role is it playing for you in this house um it's a quiet sanctuary um and it's also um affords incredible privacy from everyone coming out of their spaces into into effectively a garden so you come out of your bedrooms and the living rooms the study and and games room and you 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 aren't faced with the possible really the possibility of seeing anyone or, or or being anything and you've got this very cool uh covered structure that you can access all the other spots on but it's it's more of a sanctuary and more something that you arrive from this what is a very barren usually dry uh light yellow landscape full of wild animals and heat to something that's planted green and and, and this and this sort of it's sort of the heart um, and mm-hmm. somewhere you can see you can go I'm home I'm back and it's uh, you know and it's it's a beautiful green planted little oasis and, and not and what's get happened by is, a lion exactly well actually what happened was that initially we had some plants in there that Ginny suggested that were very attractive to baboons so it was overrun with baboons for a bit. Uh, so people would be, you know, coming back and there'd be a whole bunch of baboons just tearing these plants to pieces. So we, wow. had to, we had to work out which ones they didn't like and then we got those in there. Yeah. And the planting is quite wild in the courtyards that, that Jenny's done here. It's not, there's some small terraces in the middle, but most of it is quite wild and luscious planting. It is. And everything grows so fast there when, when it's mm. protected in a courtyard like that. So it is... Uh, yeah, and and I'm oh, sorry, and the smells and um, uh, the you know the uh, you know the colour and the birds that you get in that courtyard are just are just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about the watering hole um, that's nearby. That lots of animals are coming to to feed there. Is that actually visible from the house? Is that part of yes. the design as well that you can see it? <clears throat> yeah. So at the, at the bottom, it's the bottom of the valley, and. Only in the rainy season you can you can see it and it fills up and gets wet and then the elephants and all the gazelles and Thompson gazelles and all the everything comes to feed there. Um, yeah, so it's uh, and, and in the, at the right time of the season it's an incredible uh, place to, to see things. Um, and the guy who um, and Michael Dyer also said, "What well, the other thing you should do is put a salt, a uh, big salt piece there every now and again." So we have a big salt block there and the animals come and lick that as well so um, wow. uh the it's a it's a very it's a big elephant thoroughfare so you get a lot of elephants coming through there um which is fantastic and they can they will come all the way through so what we did is that we also designed the house that the, the front of the house is actually uh touches the wild landscape so we have a big wall that drops off from the living room and a big wall yeah. from the pool and then the fence starts the other side of the pool and the uh to the uh, main bedroom on the left but 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 the wall that drops down about two meters any animal can come right up to it in the pool any animal can come right up to it so this so the elephants quite often come and drink from the pool so mm. while you're while you're sitting having breakfast you'll suddenly have Amazing. right next yeah. to you a whole bunch of elephants drinking from the pool and weirdly there's a sort of unwritten law um that that at a certain height, and I can't what it is, Ben Jackson people telling us that, you know, I think it's 1.6 metres or 1.5 metres. Uh, even though a lion can jump two or three metres high, they won't jump that. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're, you know, you've got the wild there and sometimes mm. you do see cats and things, you know, just below you, you know, uh, looking up at you. And, uh, you know, you think, Really? Is this? Uh, have I got this high right? Or what? <laughs> There's total trust in Ben Jackson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, he, is he the kind of guy that you just trust what he says? And <laughs> well, well that, they all they all they all say things like that. But then, but, but Kenya is one of those places where they go, "It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine." Oh, yeah. someone's been eaten. Well, maybe maybe we need to add two hundred mils to that now. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly wild, you know. <laughs> 
Um, and I've, so this house is it's it's a private house for the client, and I've, I've read in places that it's so that he can introduce his children to you know where he's where he's mm. from, as so much from Africa. But and um, but it's it's also um, you can rent it as well. Yeah, yeah. I've read nine thousand dollars a night is something that I read somewhere. Have have you, I wanted to know if you've been lucky enough to stay in this place after you've finished designing it um i i have been very lucky uh and i've, I've been on several you know quite often with them as guests mm-hmm. um but also because the project slightly overran uh and in time and cost and some of the things he changed which he said i've changed this can you, do you mind doing it um he, he he's you know he's also said you know you can you can you can basically stay there you know uh, so we've got a I've got a, a few weeks of you know uh, stays there which you know I've used a bit you know went went with my son um, mm-hmm. and I, I'd like to take some of the office one day um, and then maybe do a couple of family trips there as well so um, but you know he he, he knows that we've done um, a lot more. Yeah, than, than than our architectural fee allowed for. Yeah, so he's very he's so yeah. I think he's, he's he has said to us, you know, you can book it as long as it's not family holidays. Uh, yeah, forward. So uh, so yeah, it's a good. Uh, we've got a few weeks that we're allowed there. So I've been there quite a few times as a yeah. guest, which has been amazing. Um, you know, well, if, if some really of the wonderful. office are listening, you've heard it here. Alex yeah, has exactly. said you're, you're coming out. Uh, <laughs> well, you, I, what's I have, it? Yeah. Yeah. What's it like then? As in. Oh, it's incredibly. Uh, it's I, I, you know, um, it does it does all most of the things that that I wanted wanted it to do, and it's um, mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I love going there as a guest because you 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 can peel off as a guest and feel you don't have to be involved, but you can also be very involved. Um, you know, the, the the morning views are you know it's worth getting up at five just to see. Uh, to see the sun come up and, and the animals wake up with that so the noises are incredible so um, and we've got outside showers as well for all, everyone so you know quite fun to have an outside shower with all that going on as well yeah um, um, I mean everything has worked extremely well and you know one of the things I'm really glad that we did is we we we, we sort of upped the ante on how much we spent on where uh, the people who help uh, looking after the whole property live so we have I think 30 uh, bedrooms uh, and they all have vegetable gardens now and they have beautiful rooms and, and there's a, a little mini annex to it which is um, you know means what's interesting is that you know it, I think people are much happier working there than they are in other houses there where they've, yeah. that hasn't been done. And that's becoming more and more part of it that, that actually the, the life of the people who help and run the place is, is, is amazing as well. And it doesn't, it's not a massively uplifting cost to make that really quite special. So their, their quarters are, I actually like, I love going there and looking around. It's where all the solar panels are as well. So all the solar mm. panels and you've got all the music and radios and they've all got the little areas and uh, games and, and a big vegetable garden they're always in, you know. And is that right next to the house then? Is that all kind of... It's about a hundred meters away, hundred meters away. Yeah. So you've got, yeah, you've got the manager's house, uh, which is a beautiful little house in between that and, and the staff quarters. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You mentioned about solar panels. So how is... And we talked whole, about energy yeah. energy earlier with your father. So how's this building performing in that sense? Uh, it's, well, it's completely off-grid. So it's got a borehole uh, for water and it's got solar panels with batteries that charge uh, all the uh, you know, everything. So all the water heating electricity is done with that. But we were careful in, in reducing the amount of electricity that was required. Um, uh, we also have localised solar panels to do the... Um, uh, each room has a localized sort of uh, solar thermal panel, uh, and you know, again, the materials was all sourced quite locally. So it's an incredibly energy efficient little 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 thing that it runs itself, um, mm. and it's uh, yeah, very effective. And, and you also they're mentioned they're going to go to electric Range Rover soon, which so the cars is, for oh, me really? that's one of the only things because all these diesel, uh, you know. Land cruisers and Range Rovers and Land Rovers that they use are you know, not great. Um, so they they they've developed them now that they are getting to the point where they're they're really good. So uh, in the next two or three years, I think most 
certainly Arajuju and a lot of the other places will only have electric cars, which would be fantastic. Because that's essential. That's the only way to get to these places. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier on as well about the the beautiful bird song, and that's something that I'd read somewhere, as well as this sort of holy trinity of views and the location. You were thinking about also acoustics and where it sits in the valley, and where you can where you can really hear that bird song acoustically. Um, I, I always love talking about acoustics. I always just think it's one of those things that's not really it can be an afterthought. It's not really considered, but it's actually essential to an experience living in a place. Was is that true? Is it? Was, was, did that partly help influence the setting? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we've got on the east uh, side where the sun sun rises is the most amazing uh, set of woods that drop down into the lugger, and the uh, the wildlife and the noises there are uh, yeah, sort of deafening in the morning and and, and in the mm. evening. And so, to have all the bedrooms uh, that that can open. Uh, you know, you can open up the doors and, and listen to this. is is incredible. And then the courtyard is an antidote to that because uh, it is incredibly quiet in there. You don't really hear anything, especially under the cloisters. Yeah. Um, except for the birds in the in the courtyard. But you you know the, ca- ca- the I can never say it, the cacophony of noise that you get yeah. at dawn and uh, before everyone goes to sleep at night is is magical. You know, yeah, have uh, done any exploration well. <laughs> of that? Any anything to capture that? Has there been any videos done of this project that that capture any of this? Not really. That's a, something that we should do, really, shouldn't we? A little video yeah. of of uh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. We should do that. Um, you can almost do a video where the don't the camera man doesn't have to do anything. It's just keep the camera still, and you well, just see the movement and the yeah. sound. You hear the, hear the sound. You could, exactly. I mean, we could just set one up. that's a twenty four hour one, and then just <laughs> yeah. bits of it or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's at no, quite it's, an altitude here as well. I've read six thousand five hundred <laughs> feet, so what about three thousand meters? Yeah, that's, it's about it's about three thousand meters. It's very high, so uh, you, you don't get any mosquitoes and. Um, you're sort of unaware it's so high, but uh, yeah. you you burn very very easily, uh, so you've got to be very careful with the sun. And also, you know, it, it, one of the one of the lovely things about that game reserve is you're allowed to, uh, you know, most if you go on safari, most safaris, you're in a car all day long looking at animals. Here, here you can go walking safaris. Uh, also, you go I go running in the morning with Philip, so we we, we you know run ten kilometers at uh, the crack of you know sort of five in the morning, six in the morning. Uh, past all the animals and everything, uh, but you feel it because it's it's mm. high, you know, and you realise why all these Kenyan guys win all the long distance races. Mm. Not because <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> altitude they train, isn't it? About exactly. three thousand metres. Yeah, exactly. So when you're in London, you know it's fine to go around Hyde Park twice or whatever. But you know, if you did that in Kenya, you'd be like, Gee, well, you know, after after three quarters of this, I am exhausted. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And and what have you got coming up next? Then, have you, is there any other projects in Africa leading on from this one? Uh, well, there's, there there are a couple in uh, there are a couple in Africa. There's one uh, that's on, ongoing, which is just up the valley from here, which is the one that's uh, will be uh, uh, a totally sustainable game reserve um, in a very beautiful area. Uh, uh, we've got another one on an island just off the coast of Tanzania. One of the most beautiful islands, um, and it, it's a whole, it's a forest of a baobab forest that goes onto the coast uh, of a sandy beach, and the baobab trees. I don't know if you know baobab trees. Yeah. Know these. Yeah. It's, uh, I, and I've never seen it before where they, you know, you come off the sand, and there's a baobab tree right next to you, and it's uh, so that's that that will be a fantastic project. Um, I've got some great projects in there. I've got a few lovely ones in America. I'm building a house for myself, which will be quite interesting, which is an off-grid house uh, in Gloucestershire, um, which has taken 10 years to get planning. Uh, wow, in, uh, okay. Uh, is that a relocation uh, thing? Or? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, but but it's, it's also got a studio, so the idea is to have a small studio there where people can come and have, uh, if I spend a few days a week there, then they can come and um, you know, work there as well. But it's mm-hmm. it's exploring something that I'm more and more interested in, um, which is when fusing nature with building. And uh, whereas we've spent, you know, many decades trying to control nature and uh, mm-hmm. in architecture, it's allowing nature to maybe take back control a little bit from us and, and lead us in, in, in building. So uh, th- this building is... Uh, 
it's shaped like a leaf and it's designed uh it's got two skins of uh glass uh two meters apart that, that house a sort of whole planted section in the house that is the greenhouse and the food mm. production for the house um and also that what stops the heat loss and heat gain so you have two triple layers of glass that you can open up different wow. times of the season to do different things but also the whole idea is that it's uh it's re-oxygenating the house and growing your own food in the house as opposed to having a glass structure as a separate structure outside yeah. the house you know and which i think is rather wonderful in the bedrooms we're going to have lavender and rosemary and things that you know make you drift off to sleep and everything and uh, herbs. has something like that so, been done before is that I've never. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. No. Not, 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 not quite like that. I mean, a lot of obviously a lot of plants in buildings and everything. But yeah. I think that's sort of trying to, you know, and, and in the summer, the idea it's a, bit, it's a little bit like a ruin. So all the screens disappear in the summer. So all that's left is the structure, and the and the planting is part of the outside planting. But you walk through it, and then you're inside. So, mm. uh, and in the winter, you close it off and look after the plants, and it's your food supply until things warm up again. Um, yeah. So yeah. And when's that so, due for completion? Well, it's on site now, Christmas next year. So uh, okay. I can send you images of that if you want. I'll, I'll be sending you an invite to come back on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to now ask you um, the three questions that I ask all of my guests at the, at the end of the podcast. Um, and uh, actually, I mean, before I ask the, the last one, your house, you've mentioned it with a slide and and the fireman's pot. It's definitely worth listeners taking a look at that house because it, it really is a fantastic um, house. Um, but the question is, what is the one thing that really annoys you in your home? I that flat roofs still leak. Uh, I always put flat roofs and planting on them, and yeah. water always wins, even however well you detail it in the end. So that's the. I suppose that's the one thing that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of terrified listeners with flat roofs, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a big supporter of them, and they do work. But I, I push the, I push the boat out. For instance, here we've got, we've literally got trees growing on the roofs everywhere. Um, okay, and. Uh, I'm, that's nature I, I, taking I, over then isn't it it is nature taking over but the, reason, <laughs> the main reason that we have holes in the roof is not um, because of the plants it's actually the foxes so we have until this morning I, we had a, uh, last night there were two foxes on the roof uh, and they hide in the high planting we have and the trees yeah. uh, on the roof on the um, both levels and they scratch at the front really? oh, uh, and make holes in it so they're the main the main culprits actually yeah, yeah. so there we are it's not the roofs it's the foxes yeah just leaking okay and if you could describe one house that you have visited that has really inspired you and tell me why um i think villa savoie uh in just outside paris by corbusier um is uh an extraordinary uh, piece of architecture uh, and beautiful in again its simplicity uh of of what it's trying to do and how how it was work, even though bits of it aren't don't, don't quite work. And uh, you know, beautiful in in how he just you know. And I think I think Corbys is one of the masters of it of having a very rigid uh, plan, a very simple philosophy, <clears throat> but then allowing it to uh, you know to to curve and change when when one space had to go somewhere or when you had to get yeah. onto somewhere. And I think that you know, it's a really beautiful, simple. Uh, you know, architectural language that, that he's created. And, and it, it, it did slightly blow me away that in, in so many bits of it there were, you know, this is really clever, and but at the same time, so simple. Um, mm. So um, definitely that's that's one of them. And then and then also the, the, the monastery in the Torane is just, uh, you know, you, you stop, most architects will stop when they walk in and see certain windows and the light that's created and... Uh, there's a moment of peace there and that's something that's very hard to achieve in architecture in you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just stillness and a moment of peace and two very strong influences on Arajuju I mean I can see that with Villa Savoie of that yeah. the simplicity of, of concept um, and expressed really beautifully so I think there's definitely an inspiration there yeah. and then finally if you could choose any designer to design you a new home who would you choose? Um I think I would choose uh, Kundig to, to design my house now. Uh, I, I love what he's done in his early projects in Canada. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I think not, he's, I, again, I think he's, he's a master of simplicity. 
Um, yeah. And I think you know he has that playful touch, and there's a wonderful video of a child opening this huge screen that has a sort of slightly Heath Robinson series of uh, you know round turning things. Which, which uh, so there's yeah, um, but I. I'd love lots of people to sign my house, but I think I think I think that would be that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Some really really interesting stories to do with you and and to do with the the project Arajuju. Uh, but thanks for giving your time. Absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, George. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Michaelis Boyd Architects and about Ari Juju, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com and try out the Instagram page to see the work of all my guests. I have previously had one other African-based project on the podcast. Back in episode seven, I spoke to the South African architect Frankie Puppers about their project House of the Big Arch, also located in a nature reserve. To listen to the episode, visit the episode page on the website. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode, and thanks again for listening.